Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Case Fuel Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Roos. We have Mary Gerganis, who is the managing partner of Triangle Divorce Lawyers. So Mary and her team has posted growth of over 543% over the last three years. She's running a family law practice based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And we're super excited to talk to her a little bit more about how she did that. So thanks again for taking the time to be on the show, Mary. Absolutely. All right. So as we get started, I wanted to ask, obviously, it's been a long road for you to get here, but uh, if you wouldn't mind giving us the cliff notes of how you got to the point of you guys getting so much growth in your practice these days. So what's sort of the origin story of of yourself and Triangle Divorce Lawyers? So my origin story was that it was just myself and a paralegal, and I was trying to figure out how to to get over kind of like a glass ceiling that I found about income. I looked at other attorneys in different firms and thought, okay, now how are they doing that? Why are they of that house? What am I going to do differently? I tried different things. I bought a building to put my office in. Then I tried to hire a few different people, like an associate and a different paralegal, things like that. And those didn't work out. And that was mostly probably my own fault. Then I found some mentors. And that's really where my story turned around, was finding the right fit of mentors to look at my business from the outside and help me grow. Right. Now, that's actually a really good point because we're seeing a lot of commonality and the people who tend to find growth really fast. You know, you have the path where you can kind of run around doing different kinds of things and, and beat your head against the wall and, and eventually find the right way. But it seems like there's a great shortcut in finding people who have already done it. And my question on that is, how did you end up finding these mentors? I started getting emails from different ones. And then I started Googling, like, who can help a law firm grow? Who can help me learn how to manage? who can help me answer some different questions. And then I also had personal mentors. So, you know, like I had a one, like I have a counselor, but also he counsels all these CEOs. So that put me in touch with other CEOs. Then I also, then I found this one called how to manage a small law firm. And I also found another one that through, through Lee Rosen and just interviewed both of those and looked at other ones that didn't quite fit me well and just found the different mentors. I have like three mentors that I use. It's been sort of a consistent process since you ended up initially. Those guys are still with you to this day. Just stopped using how to manage a small law firm because I outgrew It's not exactly a small law firm firm anymore, is it? (laughs) Right. Exactly. You started off, so it was you and an associate. And then at some point, now we have, you know, Triangle Family Law is operating at a, at a much larger thing. I believe you guys are at, a, at five partners at this point. So could you tell us a little bit more about how you made that transition? Just starting out, it was actually understanding about, first off, you have to build marketing because you can't hire anybody if you don't have any business, right? So right. I had plenty of business and I always use that old, I live on referrals because I don't have to advertise. Well, you know, when you have other people sending to you, they really kind of want you to represent them if you're just referral-based without building the credibility of a firm. So I changed my name to Triangle Divorce Lawyers from Mary Gerganis Attorney at Law so that it was more inclusive. And I started hiring good people. And then I also really started building policies and procedures so that everyone would get the same treatment. Every client would have the same experience here. That's what I still strive for. Every clients have the same experience that the employees and the, what we call them team members here have all the same experiences and we all do things similarly. 
that's one of the most important things is start writing everything down that, you know, how do you open a file? Because then if you don't have it, you can't hold anyone accountable later when a file doesn't get opened and a client doesn't get worked on for two months. Right, absolutely. And then this is actually a challenge that we yeah, we hear about quite a bit because a lot of the times it's very easy to settle back into this sort of, you know, hero managing partner role where it's easier to do something yourself when the chips are down than to take the extra time, maybe stay a little bit later to write those procedures. But, you know, as you can probably attest to it, after you've gone through that process a number of times, you really have sort of um a operational asset that can really prime your your firm to really scale up. Right. And you look at what's the value of a business. So if you have a business, you have two different firms that are exactly the same, but one has policies and procedures in place so that when you hire a new person, the new receptionist already knows you can go over with them. Here's exactly how you're going to do it instead of Judy will teach, David will teach, whatever. And that it's not anything like you had envisioned when you opened your firm. It makes the firm more valuable to have systems in place. We kind of mentioned earlier that there was kind of this shift. So are referrals still a big driver for your firm or have you guys transitioned to other channels? You know, when I had hit my glass ceiling, I was living on just referrals. It was just, they were coming in, we were full and myself and my paralegal were full working and, you know, I was working 40 hours a week. That was as far as I could go, no matter what I tried to do. You know, you can only, there's only so many hours in a day. I did not want to put in an 80 hour week just to work on legal work. That was, I had three kids at the time that were still minors. I just couldn't do it. So turning that around and having the policies and procedures in place and starting to hire people and having policies to train them on so that when someone comes in the door, I knew how I wanted them to be greeted and it's written down. And I know what I want my telephone message to say and it's written down. I know when, how to open a file and it's written down and there's examples in there for them to do it. So it's, so everything feels the same. It's all, and it's all from the tried and true that I've been practicing for 10 years prior. So it just helps everything flow right. You don't have to guess about where, how your cases are going or what's going on with them because you've already set up the whole system and you're just training your folks to meet those requirements. Basically, you get the systems in place. You now have people that are able to actually handle the work for yourself. Now that you have those 40 hours a week freed up, are you still focusing on the referrals for the most part? Or are there other channels that you guys are working at to get more business into the practice? Yeah, we had expanded our channels. And I had taken some marketing courses based on like law firm marketing and had attended some seminars about what type of advertising you do at each gross revenue point that you're at. So, you know, when you first start out, you want to focus on those referral sources. And then you move up, and when you hit a certain amount, you move up to more broader-based. And then you go, and then when you hit another point, then you go even further broader-based. So you go from one-to-one referrals to doing, like, leads groups and stuff like that. Then you move further and further until you're finally at the billboard, radio, spot, TV. But you should be pretty far along. You should be, you know, more than $2 million before you start as gross revenue before you start doing these broad scale things. And also one of the problems when you do, if you do something broad scale, you know, you're advertising to a million people or a hundred thousand people, but maybe only three need you. So that's why if you do more referral based, you get a better rate of return. You may get, you know, instead of hitting three in 100,000, you may be getting five in 30 or something because they'll know people that are going through or need the legal services that you're providing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a more targeted approach. And in a lot of ways, you bring up a very good point. 
we kind of see sometimes there's evaluation of a channel that may or may not be appropriate for somebody's stage. So let's say, you know, through some ridiculous stroke of circumstance, you'd have a solo practitioner that would happen to be able to afford a billboard. Well, the thing is that they might have a bad experience with the billboard and then write off the whole, you know, external marketing as something that doesn't work for them. But in reality, it's, you know, it might not have just been appropriate for them at that stage. And in some ways, if you have effective marketing and you still don't have the capacity for it, that could be one of the worst things ever because you spent all this money on different channels. Then all of a sudden you have you know more leads than you know what to deal with. And then, um, you know, that's not a good situation either. The progression that you outlined is actually really, really interesting. The first time that I'm, I'm hearing of that, but um, a lot of the times we definitely see from the people we've spoken to, you know, hundreds of different, uh, you know, small and solo practitioners at this point, it's almost universal that referrals are how people first get to their, you know, first hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in their revenue for their law firm. But um, the thing that kind of gets tough is that a lot of the times that becomes sort of like an old pair of jeans. Like you're used to these referrals that are coming recommended. It's very easy to work these people. There's not a lot of selling involved. But the thing is that, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, there's only so many hours in the day. So, you know, we kind of call this the referral roller coaster where you're pounding the pavement, you're getting out there, you're speaking all your referral sources, you get a lot of business coming in and then you have to take your foot off the gas. And then it kind of cycles until people can kind of break out and find that next channel that really works for them. So if you don't mind, could we take you to that moment? You know, you're transitioning outside of referrals. What was like the first big win that you guys had in terms of another channel that was working for you guys in marketing? One of the big steps that we took was doing Google AdWords. That was what, because it's expensive and you've got to dial it in to have the right messages. And so that was one of our big, it's an investment, you know, because you have to get it right and it takes a little bit of time to do, but that's actually one that I felt that was, it was necessary to do because, you know, you can build, because once you're full and then you're adding an associate, you need that much more work. You need, for our firm, full means 40 cases running. So when we put an associate in, I got to find 40 cases or 30 cases or 20, depending on their experience. Your current referral source is already feeding you. You have to find a new referral source or find something else. So the AdWords campaigns that we have, we can dial them up or down just by changing the spend limit to increase our leads from that revenue source. And of course, the retained rate is lower when you instead of so when you get referral rates or referral close rates like 80% because people Mm -hmm. have already introduced them to us and then when we get to these further these more removed referral more removed marketing channels and funnels they have a lower return so our return for google is like 33 to 35% so we have to do a lot more work to land those folks, but it's still work and it's still good work. You know, we're still providing a, a valuable service to people. And I'm sure there was sort of a learning curve. I mean, you know, one of the things we actually see quite often, because we do quite a lot of AdWords for our clients as well, is um, a lot of times people are, will come in with this expectation that these are going to be referral quality leads. And then when they find out that somebody, you know, might not, if, if they return the call two days later and the person doesn't pick up and they're shocked to find out that they may have started working for somebody else, there's sort of this kind of learning curve. I'm sure like when you guys started out with Google AdWords, it was probably a pretty scary experience. You guys were spending money that you hadn't been spending in the practice before. I would say 33 to 35% is actually a pretty high retention rate for cold traffic. So can you tell us how did you guys end up um, getting that channel to stick? It was a lot of trial and error. I'll say that because we had to really, especially after Google started providing additional ways for us to even funnel the some traffic versus others because then they added demographic sorting, which was very helpful The of the people that are searching Google. But at first, you know, we had to make sure we don't do free consultations. 
you know, we had to be clear about things up front, and you don't get very many words on those when you're paying for those ads. They're very small. Right. So we had to really work on, is this going to work? Is that going to work? And and also dialing in what what we're advertising. So, you know, since I'm family law, we do a tons of different things. We do custody. We do divorce. Even though on the family law spectrum, somebody's going to look for custody thing versus child support. We found that advertising for child support didn't pay for itself. But if we advertise for custody or divorce, it does. Separation, you know, you have to pick the right words and the, and find what is actually working. And we do, you know, I'm a numbers person too, so um, we do keep a CRM, a contact manager, mm-hmm. going at all times so that I know when my intake person, when that phone rings, whatever that person says, unless they hang up immediately, something has to go in that CRM so I can track where it's coming from and what they said, and if did they schedule an appointment, did they not? Did they show up for the appointment, did they not? Did they retain, did they not? And we monitor those numbers daily, sometimes twice a day I check. But I make sure the phone's ringing at all times, and I make sure that I know. Then I can also see what breaks in the process. So the intake process and the marketing process is tracked regularly. I also monitor, of course, on that tracking system shows what funnel it's coming in, coming from. So we monitor Google and all the other things, the website, all the other funnels that we use, speeches that I give and, and things like that. So all the different referral sources are monitored individually so that we say to our referral sources, hey, we referred eight people to you in the last three months. And if they say, well, they didn't call and we say, well, here's what we know. We've referred them. And then we say, and who have you referred to us? <laughs> so, oh, there you so go. we keep track of things <laughs> because then we found, like, for example, I had been referring to a mortgage person to do mortgages, you know, because when people get divorced, somebody keeps the house in a lot of cases, but they have to refinance. So I was referring, he was, I was referring more than this, but he was landing a new client for me every other month. So out of 18 months, he got nine new clients as a mortgage broker. So I was a huge referral source, and I had done that for years. And when I finally started tracking it, I realized that in seven years, he had never referred anyone to me. And right. that's a lot of value. Plus, he didn't even take me to lunch either. So, you know, I got, <laughs> you know, there was that relationship. Even though he provided a good service, other people provide good services too. And I was providing a value to him and not seeing any return on it. So we stopped referring to him and started finding other people that were like-minded. Right. And that's really interesting because the thing is that like a lot of this analytics stuff, it doesn't seem like it's very sexy when when people get started. You know, you always want to see with the phone getting ring quickly. But in reality, the people who end up, there's a lot of commonality with the people who end up posting a lot of growth like you have, Mary. And it's in really knowing those numbers down cold. I personally think it's like, you know, if people are spending either, you know, if you look at a channel like AdWords, you know, this could be thousands of dollars per month. Or if you look at something like referrals, you know, if you want to put that into billable hours, the time that you're spending going to coffee meetings and lunches and dinners with these people, uh, also thousands of dollars per month. But if you're not having the analytics to see what's actually coming from this, it, you know, it's like you're driving a car with a with a black windshield. <laughs> but at the same exactly. time, and that's one of the things too, because you know, we usually kind of stay a little bit more in the the cold traffic realm. And that's actually the first application I've heard of um, using deep analytics on a networking perspective. And you know, it tends to be one of those nebulous things. Not a lot of people will actually spend the time to see where their hours are going and what kind of referrals are going. But that's, you know, case in point, if you're able to you know, tie down the value that you're providing and it's not coming back to you, it's unfortunate for the guy who's getting those nine deals, but there's plenty of mortgage brokers in the world. That's right. And they provide good services. And the fact that all I'm doing is looking at the reports because I have someone who, when they answer the phone, that CRM, they pop that screen open. It's a pop-up screen and then they just fill it out because I'd had the system 
system in place, all the fields are there. They just run right down it and answer all those questions or fill those blanks in. You know, where, how did you hear about us? Whatever, whatever. What's your name? What's your email address? And just straight down the list. And they, once they add that, they save it. And then my analytics get updated. So it's not like I'm having to spend the time updating them. I have the intake person does it as part of the system. And then my bookkeeper gives me reports also that she runs telling me, okay, I spent whatever, 5000 on Google. How much did I get? What return did I get? How many, you know, what kind of cases did I get? And what's the average case value for each one? So that then I can see whether I'm getting a good return or not. Yeah, absolutely. And and you kind of addressed a, an objection that I hear from people in making excuses not to do this kind of stuff. But in the reality is you set this up once, Mary, and it's not something that's really taking your time at this point. So and that's kind of the beauty of the systems, which is something that it seems like you picked up on early and it's been serving you ever since. I set it up so long ago, maybe three years ago. So the fact that it's worked, the only thing I've tweaked is when I add a new marketing funnel, I'll add that as a list as part of the choices that they can choose on where the cases are coming from. So it's been working. It's great historical data that if you see this year versus last year, you can run these reports in seconds. If I may dig down to a tactical question, what sort of technology are you using to pull this off? Because I mean, you mentioned a CRM. What different softwares are you using to get this to work? There are so many CRMs out there that are so affordable. We're using PipelineDeals.com, which is just an online app that and, and it's very inexpensive. I think it's like 25 and $50. So the 25 you get 25 fields. And then I upgraded to the $50 one because I got a little more complex. I wanted to fi- follow some more things. There's project management tools that can act as CRMs. You just have to build, you have to build the fields that you need in order to track it. So there's so many that you can use that just provide the data is so valuable and it's so important to track. Now, as far as getting all of these different things set up, was this something that you guys focused on doing in-house or were you guys getting help in, in getting these things set up for you? I hired a guy to build my website. And then while he was building it, we talked about, he asked me if I had a CRM. He said, oh, you really need to get one. And that's when we started looking at that. So it's really just using the vendors that we had and learning new things. You know, I had never heard, I'm a lawyer, you know, I know how to do, you know, a divorce, but what is a CRM? And just having that exposure really makes a difference. I mean, when it comes down to it, we're all really just running a business. We are, and the business happens to be we also practice law as our service to provide to people. But I didn't know, I'd never even heard of that. But then once it was shown to me and I thought, oh, I could really use this stuff. I would really like to know what if I'm spending my money in a good way or am I wasting my money? We've talked about a couple different channels. We're spanning a couple of years here. Now, as far as what's working for you guys in 2018, like what have been the really big drivers for your guys' growth this year? I think the big driver right now is we continue to develop our systems. So now we're going to try to automate some of our processes so it'll benefit the client because it should save them some money and it benefits our employees because then they know that their quality of work is even better. Our quality of work is already great, I'll say that. But it'll help systematize. Like I said, I would my goal and one of our mantras, so we have every company has its own mantras. One of my mantras is I want every client to have the same experience. That doesn't mean that the lawyer's personalities are different or their cases are the same, but it's that, you know, when they call in, the phone's always answered for them and the people are nice. Their paralegals are always available to talk to them anytime. They're, you know, they get calls back, for, you know, that they get that kind of service that I want and that I hope that I provide and that I'm telling people that we're providing because that's one of the sales 
techniques that I use, one of the messages I send out to our referral sources. We are systematizing, we're creating even more checklists and just trying to dial in the great service that we can. We're also, no matter how big you are, you have to focus on marketing because every time you add a new person, that's a new mouth to feed and you have to find work for them that adds value to the client. Because in the end, that's the whole point is we're adding, we keep adding value to our services. Those are the two things I'm focusing on right now. And just, you know, that's what I want to do because I want to continue to grow. Now, as far as like the path to growth, I mean, there's obviously a lot of uh, ideas that people, I mean, it's, it happens with every single business owner. Like, you know, there's kind of this rosy path to a brighter new future, but a lot of challenges will come up. Can you tell us about some of the unforeseen challenges you might have faced on the road to getting the success that you have? So some of the unforeseen challenges that I had were I did not realize that it would take so much of my time every day. Because in reality, I love when people say, oh, you know, I I still only work 40 hours a week. Well, for the first two or three years, I worked 80 hours a week. But some of it was in front of a TV and an iPad, and I was just getting stuff down, getting the systems down. It didn't, you know, it was just getting things recorded, getting things down and building reports, things like that, that I didn't need to do in the office. But I didn't realize how much work it was going to be, but it was definitely worth, it was worth doing the work. It was something that I couldn't delegate to anybody else. So that was a challenge for me. But like I said, sometimes it was, you know, we have a boat. We were on the boat and I would just pull the iPad out and work for 20 minutes and then put it away. And that was 20 minutes more of value that I added to the business. One of the other challenges for me personally is communicating with my team and leading my team. Because, you know, I have my own personal vision. I know how I want things to run. I know how I want people to feel. But communicating that and having everyone buy in on that, that's something I had to learn. Another challenge that I had was you are where you are because you put yourself there. You can't blame it on anybody else. So I had to also do a lot of self-improvement, which is reading, which is, you know, having these mentors, you know, break it down for me and say, well, here's what's going on and this is what you're doing and you have to, the buck stops with you anyway, which is true, right? That the business only grows because of the leader's vision and having your team buy into that vision. So those were my biggest challenges. I mean, I have... I've gotten paid, you know, I get paid well, so that's not an issue, you know, so that's not changed and I don't want it to ever change, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I hear people that, you know, have never paid themselves in three or four months, I'm like, oh my goodness. So yeah, I don't recommend doing that. If you don't pay yourself, then how, what are you in business for? You're doing something wrong. Yeah, it's like that old airplane thing. You know, you have to make sure that I fix your own life mask first before. It's very hard to grow from a place of starvation, you know? Yes. Now, as far as the, the materials that you're kind of using to keep yourself sharp, like how are you going about and like finding book recommendations or things that you want to invest your time into? Like, what does that process look like for you today? I'm not a TV watcher very much. So it's more of I'll find things from my network of referrals, number one, because my referral sources are also business owners for the most part. So they know things that they like. I go to seminars. I go to classes. I watch videos online. So I talk to my mentors. And I just, as soon as I hear something interesting, I read. Then I buy that book and engage with that book or that usually books will also have a community with them. And I may engage with that community for some period of time to really hone that skill or, or understand that concept. And then something else may interest me and then I'll go to another book. So, and just to kind of put it into numbers, like as far as the time that you're spending on learning, like what does that look like in a given week for you, Mary? I spend at least 
three to four hours a week on self-improvement. And it's not, I don't do it at work. You know, I do it at home because I like it and I think Mm -hmm. it's fun. And it helps me unwind also. Well, so to anyone who's listening, if you want to get to the point where you're growing this fast, it's absolutely a commitment that you need to make. And if you look at it for the person that might be listening to this podcast and was catching up on Westworld this past weekend, think about where your business would be if you uh, were doing kind of some of the similar stuff and, and like looking into uh, investing in your personal growth, which is absolutely a baseline for business growth as well. Another question I wanted to ask, and as far as you know, differentiating yourself. So one of the things that we talk about is ever since you know the internet's become more popular, we've got these aggregators like Avo, we've got stuff like Yelp, and it's getting harder and harder to really set yourself apart being a practice area in a certain geography. Can we talk a little bit about the branding that you guys have been putting out there and how you're differentiating from other people in your area? It's very hard to differentiate because there's thousands of lawyers. And even in our area, there's thousands of lawyers. So saying you do something different is very, very hard to do. So, And then there's so many avenues for people to communicate outside of us. But whatever your story is or what your why is, I guess, is what you kind of need to spread so that people understand that you know what they're going through, whether it's a criminal action or estate work or, or business, you know, forming a business, whatever it is, they want to know that you know what they're going through. So sharing my why is one of the ways that I try to differentiate myself. And also, you know, I have a marketing team that go out, but then I'll go out as the face and try to differentiate myself so that people know who we are through me as well. So I try to do that. You know, there's so many vendors that will suggest finding your message and pay for this and we'll get you a great branding line. And that's great. And that works and it helps people remember. But when it comes down to it, it's who is this unit of people and what is your goal? What is the message you are trying to do? And when, and that comes back down to the same thing of what is the owner's mission and what does the owner wants to do? And then that can be part of the message to differentiate you from your competition. Right. And I'm sure you might have this off the top of your head, Mary, but for, for uh, Triangle Divorce Law, what is the message that you guys are bringing to the market right now? We help people navigate their modern family. That's our message And it's also that we know that people are very intelligent now. They don't just, you know, okay anything a lawyer says because there's so many, there's so much information on the internet. So we respect them and help. It's their lives. They need to make their own decisions about things. We just help guide them and fight for them. One of the things we like to talk about is the messaging that you bring in kind of really will attract the people that are you know, resonating with that message in particular. So how long have you been using that iteration of the message, Mary? And how has it affected the kind of people that have been, um, you know, coming into your practice? We've used the message for three years now. And and I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't know how it affects people. All I know is when I get in front of them, and they get to know us and see what, you know, where our hearts are with this, then that is puts it more into perspective for them when they can actually put a face to a name, understand what what our goals are, you know, and we show empathy to them. So I would love to say that that magic statement was, you know, the silver bullet. And if I just came up with something even better, then I wouldn't need to do any marketing anymore. But that's not how it, for my business, that's not what is going to bring in the work. 
Yeah, because I mean, obviously, every single day you guys are out there, you know, producing a consistent experience with your systems. You're out there marketing really hard, and you know, it's actually really tough with the brand. On some level, it's it's kind of one of those things that has to be good enough, but ultimately, it's it's more of a multiplier than a coefficient, if that makes any sense. Coincidentally, it seems like you guys have posted, you know, that that outstanding growth in that same last three year period. So, what's to be attributed to what is the real question? But um, you know, as far as you guys have had some really big years, it's got to be tough to keep growing. So, what are the plans for the future? So my plans for the future are that I want to expand to other areas, other geographic areas that also are larger cities because there is no family law firm that's statewide. And that's mm. one thing that I wanted to create for folks. And there's a lot of underserved areas in North Carolina that are more rural. But if we're further, if we have more offices, we'll be able to provide legal services for some of the smaller communities. Obviously, it's a super ambitious goal. When we're talking about scaling one practice versus opening more branches, you definitely have your, your work cut out for you. But you know, if, if the past is any indication, it seems like you know it's just a matter of time before you reach that goal as well. Mary, what's the best place for people to find you online? Our website is trianglediorcelawyers.com. So that's plural, trianglediorcelawyers.com. You can email me directly. I think I have a link on there under my face under my page. And I'm happy to help any other business owners that I can and share information with them because I was, I'm still learning too. So they can, it's hard and it feels lonely, but it's doable. I mean, if anyone told me oh, I'd have a million dollar practice one day, I'd be like, oh, whatever, you know, is it possible? But now I know that my goal is to grow another 500%. And since I've done it once, I know I can continue to do it. That's the, the fear is gone for that. That's awesome. Well, Mary, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I'm sure that anyone you know who's in that position that you were not too long ago where you're thinking about how you could break through is uh, going to have a lot of really valuable nuggets out of this. So thank you again for your time. For everyone else, this is another episode of the Case School Podcast. So stay tuned for uh, next week for another awesome interview. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.